Hey there, thanks for tuning in. So excited to bring you Superstar PR season six. I promise this season is just a thank you to everyone who's been listening and I'm bringing you some really interesting folks. Please rate, subscribe, stick around, and thanks for listening. Chanel Call is a correspondent for CBS News. She's a passionate, well-traveled journalist with expertise in handling national and international breaking news and the stuff matters. Chanel was born in Sri Lanka and raised in Canada and is now based in New York, New York, and she reports to the CBS News special events and news gathering units. You'll find her work on CBS Mornings, the CBS Evening News, CBS News Streaming Network, and NewsPath. Welcome, Chanel. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for that really kind introduction. Well, we're, you know, we're fans of you, Chanel, and your career has taken a really cool path. So you left Toronto recently. Can you tell everybody from CP24 to CBS, kind of the stuff in between? Yeah, it's been kind of a wild ride. I can't believe it's September already. Like it's been nine months, just past nine months to the day since I moved because I got to New York on New Year's Day, January 1st, 2023, which is kind of like an incredible time to start fresh, to start a new chapter. So I, you know, flew here, new country, new city, new job, new network. Um, and yeah, it was a lot to get used to. Well, I, you know, and what a cool city to go to. Like, I love New York. How's New York treating you? I mean, it's amazing. Like, I feel like I have always wanted and dreamed to live in New York. And, um, you know, I think people that are listening to this from Toronto will know. But back when I was in university, there was a hundred dollars. Graham that you could take from Toronto to New York City and back. It was a hundred bucks. And it was like a 10 hour journey. You get on this Greyhound bus um, and you get to New York City, you spend a weekend here, you go back. And you know, when you're a student, you don't have a lot of money. This was a great deal. And it got me to New York City. And I feel like I would be here for a weekend and you get so immersed in like the hustle and the culture and the busy. And there's just so much energy here. So it's really cool to finally, after all these years, be able to say, I get to live here and work here. It's really special. I think it's so cool, man. Like, it's like, that's a city. My husband and I joke, we want to visit so bad, but not with our kids. We're like, <laughs> like our 48 hours there and then come back. So Chanel, let me ask you, you've worked on really important work. And even recently you did a story um, and tell me if I'm quoting you wrong. It was about fertility, infertility, and how, you know, when you go to a sperm bank, there's a situation that people don't know about in terms of how the BIPOC community is represented. Yeah, I think you're talking about a piece that I did really early this year. It was actually my first piece um, that aired on CBS Mornings. And so it was, it was special for a number of reasons. But the story was basically about how there's a lack of Black and other diverse sperm in this country. And I think that that's true in Canada as well. And, you know, what we heard from these communities is, you think you're ready for this next chapter. You go to a sperm bank, you're trying to pick a daughter, and you realize if you're a woman of color, specifically in America, if you're a Black woman, you just really don't have a ton of options. And that really changes the way you can family plan, your ability to family plan. And um, yeah, it was a really special story to be able to tell because I think after there were so many people that reached out to me that were like, oh, I didn't know that like everyone was having this problem. It's a community-wide issue. And hopefully... You know, the point of journalism, obviously, is to share these sorts of stories to create some kind of awareness and hopefully change. Absolutely. And something I appreciate that you do, Chanel, is like, I've never seen you cover something that I thought didn't matter. 
it's always like thought provoking. And I shared this one with a few of my friends who are going through the fertility journey. And some of them are going through exactly what you discussed. Um, now, let me ask you, you've worked on some cool things. So what's a, what's a story maybe that your mom would brag about or something that you're like, <laughs> big deal? I love that one. Mm, um, I feel like the, the stories that I am the most proud of and that I remember the most fondly are the ones that have a lot of impact. And so um, like that one was really special for me, the story about black sperm donors. Um, I also did a story earlier this year about um, Asian name reclamation during API month. Um, and so what I was hearing in the community was, and you probably know this, you probably have friends that have had this experience, but I feel like many of us know Asian uh, North Americans who have adopted Americanized or Western names. Um, so you might have a birth name or a cultural name, but you want to fit in school, you want to fit in in your workplace. So maybe your parents change your name to a more anglicized version, or maybe they just change it to like Michelle or Amanda. And you grew up your whole life, that person. And I think after the Atlanta spa shooting, uh, there was this sort of moment of reckoning where I was hearing that people were saying it doesn't even matter if we try to assimilate. These things can still happen. We're still being targeted. And so why don't we just be really proud of who we are anyway? And so what was starting to happen was people were coming forward and saying, I don't want to be called Michelle anymore or Amanda anymore or an anglicized version of that Asian name anymore. I want to be who I was born as. And it was just this really powerful moment, I think, within the Asian American community. And I'd heard these stories anecdotally. And I thought, wouldn't this be great to be able to present this as a piece on a national platform and for other people to be able to hear this conversation and to know that this is happening within the community? And that's exactly what happened. And it was so, so incredibly humbling to hear from folks after the story aired. There were so many people that reached out to me saying, you know, I'd been thinking about it and then I saw your story and, and this has helped me make a decision about changing my name. Or I didn't even know, you know, people outside the community um, and one of my bosses had said, you know, I didn't even know that this was happening. And it's so incredible that we can have this on, on, a, on a national platform uh, just to create some awareness about it, to make you think twice, like maybe I should just clarify how I pronounce their name instead of assuming, you know, so I, I think it inspired so many really special conversations. Absolutely. Um, I have a client and his his name is Dr. Quadjo. And the J sound, the first time I met him, I was like, I don't want to say it wrong. So I'm not going to say it. I'm going to wait till he says it. No one says their own name, Chanel. <laughs> that was a fail. And I had to say, like, spell it out. Give me the phonetic way. I don't want to disrespect this name. So that's a really strong piece. And um, am I saying your name right? Chanel. Yeah. Oh, what a nice name, Chanel. I love your name. <laughs> Good job to your parents. So let me ask it you, helps. like, you're you're in New York City, and uh, it's the city that everybody says is a little bit like Toronto, but not like Toronto. What's the biggest difference for you, Toronto, New York City? I know it's so funny. I feel like when I left, uh, a lot of people in Toronto were like, "Oh, you know, New York's not that different. It's just like a little bit of a bigger Toronto, girl." <laughs> It's different. <laughs> so different. But I, <laughs> I, you know, I think that the biggest change for me or adjustment for me has been like Toronto's home. 
So I think there's like a certain sense of ease and comfortability when you're living and working in a city that's home for you. Because you know the neighborhoods, you know the issues, you know the people, you have a network, you have a community. Um, and, and all of that changes your experience in a city, right? So I think coming to New York, the challenge is really creating that here. So that's certainly an adjustment. But, you know, thankfully, I have just had a career that sort of brought me to so many different cities over the years that I think that you just get sort of used to change and a little bit more comfortable with putting yourself out there and trying to create new friendships and new relationships and that sense of community in a totally new and very different place. Wow. I, I have to ask you, what's your horoscope sign? Because it's really gutsy. Like, it feels like a saggy butt. <laughs> it is saggy. <laughs> you know me so well. <laughs> Am I giving the saggy vibe? No, no you're, you're my mother. Yeah, my mother's just like, Nicolina, when we, you need to go somewhere, I'm coming. I'm like, okay, ma, it's not always fun where I'm going, but let's go. You know, part of it might just be like the immigrant mentality, you know, where you're like, well, it's changed. I got to deal with it. <laughs> I love it. I think you're a rock star. Okay, so let me ask you now advice you could give your younger self, what would it be? Where do I begin? <laughs> um, this is a tough one because, you know, I feel like you should be really careful who you take advice from, first of all. Um, that's Maybe that's the first piece of advice. And you should think carefully about who you listen to. Um, but I, I think that's something I really struggled with when I was younger and I'm still trying to you know, be better at this is, is not just doing the work. Because I think if you're at a certain level in your career, you've obviously done the work, you're, you're, you're doing all the things you're supposed to be doing. What I wasn't doing for many, many years in my career was talking about the work. And I didn't realize that because I think, you know, coming from an immigrant family, you're just kind of told to put your head down, work hard, don't rock the boat, don't say anything, just, just do your thing, you know, stay in your lane. And, um, and so I think for many, many years early on, I just told myself, you're doing all the work, just, you know, keep hustling and someone will notice. One day somebody will notice. And I think that's just kind of not true. Um, and so during COVID, I remember I read this book called Brag Better. And the essence of it was, it's not good enough to just do the work. You have to be telling people about the work you're doing. And you know, I think I struggled with this and, and some other women may too, is you feel like, oh, I don't want to come off like I'm bragging. I don't want to come off um, like I'm vain if I share my work on social media or, you know, I plaster it all over. It, it's just, it, it gives you this like kind of cringy, I'm so sorry. Oh my gosh. <laughs> my husband's calling. Good. Good. Um, so yeah, I think I struggled with uh, this sense of feeling weird about being open about my work. And, and then I read this book and it was like, no, that's that's how you get somewhere. People have to know about what you're doing. You cannot just be doing the thing. You got to be sharing the thing that you're doing. And I remember telling my friend about this and and she also works in the industry. And I was like, oh my gosh, I read this book and this was you know, the essence of it. It's totally changed my mentality. And she was like, well, Chanel, when you do something great, like when you've done a story you're really proud of, do you not like share it with your boss? And I was like, no, I never thought to do that. And I think this can, you know, apply to people who work in industries across the board. But this was a very revolutionary thing for me where I was like, 
No, but isn't it silly to assume that your boss is keeping up with every single thing you're doing? They're not. Of course they're not. And I think I just spent too many years working really hard, hoping someone would notice. And this just totally changed the game where I was like, oh, I did something great. Let me send an email just to be like, hey, did you see this? Just wanted to flag. If you have any thoughts, criticism, would love to talk about it. It's so easy, but it like totally changed the game for me. I actually love that, Chanel. And, you know, something that I had a mentor teach me along those lines was when you do a whole bunch of great things, it's and this is what a man would do. You can send a summary, a summary of my year. Mm, yes. And sometimes, you know, before you ever talk about a salary, people can forget. But if you say a summary of my year, yes. <laughs> you're a rock star, then you can ask for the money, right? Totally. And I think that's part of... Um... There's another book that this reminds me of called Knowing Your Value. And it, it talks about that too, about how, you know, once you do the work, like that's step one, right? You got to get the job, you got to do the work and you got to perform well. But you also have to be keeping track of what you're doing so that you can go back and, and when it's time to negotiate or when it's time to ask for that promotion, you can explain why you deserve it. But I think these are tools that um, people don't really talk about in the workplace. And so... Unfortunately, a lot of us have to learn that ourselves. And you said it so eloquently is like, sometimes some of these things just do come more naturally to men. And so women in the workplace like us, like we gotta be doing those things. We gotta be following what they're doing and, and be doing that too. You know, Chanel, I'll give you a funny moment that reminds me of this. It's like playing golf with some of my team. We get the, we're at a golf course and we take the little golf cart at the end and we're kind of the newbies and we don't know where to leave the golf cart. And then one of the girls- yeah look at the men and the men leave it in the middle, walk away. And we've actually taken wipes out to wipe it down, to empty the garbage. We're just being such weirdos on the golf course. Like, yeah, clean your golf cart. We looked a little bit neurotic. So we had to walk away from it and do what the men are doing and be cool. I don't know. In that moment, we learned not that women should follow men, men, but sometimes it's a little easier, right? Just walk away from the golf cart. Yeah, that's so funny. Sometimes I think too, though, um, like we wear it differently. We can't just do what they do. We got to make it our style. And um, I, I think sometimes it's like, it's not about replicating what men do, but it's like, how can we just improve our situation and still be ourselves and still be authentic? Because many of us are warm and kind and all of those things. We don't need to be mean and aggressive in any way. We just need to be, what you said, keeping track of our accomplishments and then sharing them. It's super easy. And you know, you know, Chanel, like in my world, I can, I, I think of how you said share. Well, it's funny because I share what journalists do that I love. I'll share it with my family, yeah. friends and everybody's like, Nikki, you're so weird. I'm like, read the content. This is really good. Well, <laughs> good for you to also know that like people are listening and it's mm -hmm. powerful because there's a lot of conversations that you're bringing forward that no one's talking about. And, you know, there's a lot of maybe billions of people on the planet who benefit from your content. And, you know, I wonder if you can comment on your ability to choose some of your work. Yeah, I, I think you really hit the nail on the head there because at its core, journalism is about sharing stories. And so it's funny to me that I struggled for so many years to share other people's stories. Like, it's funny to me that I was like, oh my God, people are going to think I'm vain. People, you know, and now I think 
I have really stripped a lot of that down because I look at this and I say, it's not about me. It's about the stories, right? It's about the people in those stories. And that makes it so much easier when you explain it to yourself that way to say, of course, I'm going to share this on social media. Of course, I'm going to try to promote the work that we're doing. Because the point of journalism, like what's the point otherwise? If people aren't reading your work or watching or listening, there's no point to doing the work. <laughs> yes. And you also, you don't know who you're inspiring, Janelle. You're inspiring the little girls, right? The little girls who are like somebody that looks like me is fabulous and killing it. So let's go, right? It's it's like a moment worth noticing. There are little girls out there who are watching you. And I think it's so cool because, you know, I have a daughter and I like to show my daughter smart women. And I don't want her to just be wearing a nice dress. I'm like, no, look at the smart women, <laughs> please. Smart women are good. So now let me ask you um, my last question. And it could be a person dead or alive. If you could have lunch with anybody, who would they be and why? Oh, gosh, there's so many. Um, but I think you know, it's funny that you talk about having, having role models for your daughter, because I think um, growing up as a South Asian woman and watching television in the 90s and early 2000s, um, there weren't that many other South Asian women. <clears throat> Certainly not in news, but but even outside of news, like there weren't that many people that I could look up to and say, oh, that's really cool what they're doing. Maybe I could do that someday. Um, so I remember watching Medita Rajpal back in the day, and she was, I think, the first, yeah, definitely the first South Asian woman who I saw on TV and thought, that's really cool. I didn't, I don't think I ever had thought, oh, I could do what she's doing, or maybe I could, um, until until much later. But I remember Padma Lakshmi being somebody outside, like, a career that I would be interested in exploring, but just someone who I thought was so fascinating and breaking so many barriers and now she's here in new york city and so i just i, I keep hoping one day maybe i'll just like get on the subway he lives in new york city and so yeah i'm just hoping one day i'll like get on the subway and just meet her and be able to have a conversation and fangirl um and then i think the other one for me is mindy kaling uh because in the same way where i just felt so, every time i watch anything that she does I feel seen in a way that I never have growing up. And I think that there are so few of these people who are creating massive amounts of change for little girls who get to see themselves now on TV in this way that that never happened before. Um, so actually, I, I escaped your answer and I gave you two or three. <laughs> but there's just so many people. Good reasons. I mean, like, I have this um, this thing where I believe that if you can speak something into reality... And I believe wishing out loud is nice. And with the right, I'm putting, I'm, I'm putting it out there. I'm putting it out there. Father Lakshmi, come to me. I need you to like DM me. I'm like, subway. I will. I will. You know, funny, funny story. I actually, uh, a couple months on the subway, I sat beside BJ Novak, and um, just like I was on my way to work, and I was putting my headphones in, and I went to put a headphone in, and just you know, turned to the left side, and I was like. And to do a double take. And I was like, oh my gosh, I think that's BJ Novak. And then so I didn't put my headphone in. And I was like, oh my God, are you BJ Novak? Oh. And he was like, yes, yes, I am. And he looked exactly like BJ Novak. Like he was wearing, you know, the t-shirt and the, the blazer and the sneakers. 
Um, anyways, and we had a little chat. And I, did, I felt bad because I was like, I don't want to bother you on the subway. But I, we had a little chat, which was great. And then in my mind, I was like, oh my gosh, I wanted to bring a separation away from Mindy Kaling. It's going to happen. <laughs> no, no. It, you know, the joke is like, after this, you're going to go to like Italy, New York City, and then she's going to be there having pizza. And you're going to be like, no, that didn't just happen right now like this. <laughs> but you can only pray. You can only pray. Yeah, yeah girl. <laughs> well, you know, I think, Chanel, that you are somebody we're going to have to have on the show again because you're cool people and you're going to work on some cool stories that we're going to have to talk about after. Because <laughs> my husband says that I don't sleep at night. I just watch everything I PVR and then I like really enjoy it and I'm tired in the morning. That's how I... That's your time to catch up. Yeah, I get it. You get me totally. So thank you for joining me for this little conversation. You're amazing. And uh, brag, please. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Nikki. Such a lovely conversation. So good to connect. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Superstar PR. Please remember, if you like what you heard, share it with your friends. Don't forget to rate and review the show. This is a labor of love. We'll see you next week for our newest episode.